this passage of scripture, Ephesians chapter 2, is broken down really into four, well, three distinct parts, and then a fourth part talks about the church. But it talks about the life of a Christian before Christ, during his relationship with Christ on earth, and then also after his life on earth, as well as with the relationship to the church. And we're not going to get nearly into all of that. There's 22 verses in this passage. We're going to get through three of them today. But the life of the Christian believer, there has to be a starting point because it's very evident we don't begin life as a Christian. Uh, we have to have a change come in our life. and uh, Most of you are familiar with these before and after gimmicks that you see on TV. Most of them are gimmicks. Um, I took my computer last night and uh, took one picture, and I could make that picture either short and fat or tall and thin. And I could have shown you a before and after and told you that this was, uh, you know, this was before I'll pick out one, whichever one you want to use, the diet plans, and told you that this was after the diet plan and it was the very same picture. Uh, we see that done with hair. You've seen the commercials that, you know, you can grow your hair and, you know, the, the picture before, they're sitting there frowning, there's just no, you know, joy in their face at all and the after picture they got a little hair and smile on their face and they're just as happy as they can be you know they doctor them up to make them look like they want you to see the before and after and that's what Paul's doing here in Ephesians chapter 2 it's uh, before Christ and after Christ after Christ is basically the the summary of this uh, passage it's a very familiar passage to most uh, Oh, children's church. If you want to go out to children's church, it's time to do that. You're welcome to go. Y'all have fun. But we're going to be here for a while, but it's a picture of before Christ and after Christ. It's a very important part of the Christian believer's testimony. Uh, every one of us should have a story. And, and most of the time when you're given your story, um, you know, you can have some very gory details. And those are not necessarily the main point of your story, but it seems like that's what most people hear is the bad stuff. We ought to spend more time on our testimony of what Christ has done in our life and how he's changed us rather than the than the gory stuff before you know that and for some of us and I'm sorry to say I'm included in that is many times we have some of that stuff we could carry over even after our life in Christ except that is forgiven as well but I'm so thankful that uh, Paul has given us the a breakdown of, of really what a Christian testimony is so as we dig into this, I want you to think about this. How How is it different with your life after Christ? Because all we're going to see today is the picture of before. We're going to see the, the ugly stuff. And uh, the, the part that 
is not real flattering. When you begin to read this passage of Scripture, and we'll go there now, if you're joining us by way of Internet or Facebook, uh, we're in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. You should have your notes downloaded to you, and uh, thank you for joining us today. Let's read the passage there together. And you, and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses. Not a very exciting opening to that, except for that very first half of that sentence. In which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Not a very flattering picture of who we were before our life in Christ. Doesn't get much worse than what Paul describes us there as being dead. When we think about dead things, we look at a flower that's wilted and there's no life and you know you try to pull it up and it just breaks off. There's no where life comes from the ground through the roots of that plant, it just breaks away from its life source even most of the time. And we see things, you know, that are dead, we think Things that are extinct or are going to be uh, apart from us as as living beings, but that's not the, the death that Paul's talking about here. He's talking about the death that separates us from a life in Christ. A death that separates us from God. We're we're still living, but Paul says we were dead. And he made us alive. The second part of that picture there is described as slavery. In verse 2, look at that real close. In which, you once, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, you're obedient to something other than the Spirit of God in your life. Not a very good place to be. But unless God intervenes, we, without the intervention of God, have no ability on ourselves come out of that line. But Paul starts that out, but, and you, he made alive. We didn't do it ourselves. It came from him. It's a discussion of really of God's mercy and his gift of grace. For by grace you've been saved, verse 8 says. We'll get there in a little while. But I want to look at Four things that describes our life before Christ. Number one in your notes, it was a life of death. Now that's kind of an, a, a contrast in terms, almost a, a, an opposite there, but a life of death. Death before conversion means that we were separated from God. It's a, it's a word that never means extinction or annihilation or or uh, inactivity it just simply means that you're separated from the body of Christ or or from God H.S. Miller says this death is a separation of a person from the purpose or use for which he was intended if you know much scripture at all you'll know that our purpose in life is to honor and glorify God in all that we do 
And that death is the, is the separation that keeps us from doing that. Man was created to know, to worship, and to serve God. But he doesn't do that. If anything at all, if any worship happens at all, it's worship of ourself, of our own ideas, of, a, of, a, of an idea of making yourself all that you can be and, and being better than the person next to you and putting yourself out in front of others. And we just finished a whole series that said others need to be first. So it's just an opposite of what God has intended for us to do. We don't fulfill that purpose because of sin that has entered into the world. It's a separation from God, and, and man is dead to God. And the Bible speaks of three different types of death. Letter A in your notes, a physical death. And that's what we think about whenever we think about death. We think about that physical separation when loved ones pass away. My mother died in June, and there's a separation. There's a, a longing and a, and a desire. And, and you know how many times that I'll be thinking about something, and I'll think, I wonder what, Sometimes the weather. I'll, I wonder what the weather's like. And I'll go, I'll just call mom and see if it's snowing in Kentucky. And then I'll go, she's not there anymore. It's the physical separation that we think about, that physical death. 1 Corinthians 15, 21, 22 says this. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. It's because of Adam's fall in the garden that we that we experience that physical death but I've said this before if it hadn't been Adam it would have been whoever was next in line it would have been Harold or whomever it might be but Adam just was the man that God chose to to write his story in the beginning of Genesis Hebrews 9 27 says this it's appointed unto man once to die but after this the judgment talking about the physical death that we pass from this earth to the next let her be in your notes a spiritual death that's the worst kind of death that we can have. A spiritual death. The separation of man from God while he's still living and walking on earth as well as when he physically dies. That spiritual death. A person may walk in life without God and Christ and he's spiritually separated from God. He's dead to the things of God. But you may be a religious person worshiping a God of your own thoughts and imagination or something that's created other than the true living God, but you're still a spiritually dead person. A person who wastes his life, the scripture talks about a person who wastes his life in righteous living is spiritually dead. In Luke chapter 15, talking about the prodigal son, listen to what it says. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found person who has not partaken of Christ is spiritually dead. John 6.53 says this, Then Jesus said to them, Most surely I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. You're spiritually dead. person who lives in sin, a habitual lifestyle of sin, you're spiritually dead. That's Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 says that. That we were dead in trespasses and sin. A person who lives in sinful pleasure is dead while he lives, according to 1 Timothy 5 6. But she who lives in pleasure is dead while she lives. 
putting ourselves, our own pleasure, our own desires, our own thoughts and lifestyle before the things of God, we're spiritually dead. Revelation 3.1 says this, you can be a church member, a religious person, doing religious works and be spiritually dead. Listen to what it says. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. We can do all the right things and still be spiritually dead. Because the only thing that makes us alive is accepting the atoning blood of Jesus Christ for our sinful nature. Letter C in your notes, the Bible talks of eternal death. Not only is a physical death, a spiritual death, but also an eternal death. The separation of man from God's presence forever. You see, we never really ever die. Our soul lives on forever. You will live in one place or the other for eternity. In an all glorious, magnificent, magnificent place called heaven that we cannot even begin to think or imagine what God has gone on and done before for us or a place called hell of endless torment. One of the two. Your soul will never die. It's called the second death, the eternal death. Romans 6.23 says this, For the wages of sin, that transgression against the things of God, is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. James 5.20 Let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Everyone who has not trusted in Christ is spiritually dead. Not only will you die a physical death, and you will never experience what it means to be spiritually alive, but you will have an eternal death. Not a very glamorous beginning to probably one of the most important chapters in the life of the church. But Paul says some things that we don't hear too much on TV anymore. You see, it's all about making us feel good and and having your best life now. I don't want my best life now. I want my best life to be in the eternity. But not only a life of death, but number two in your notes, a life of trespasses and sin. That word trespasses there is a word that in the Greek means to... Blunder or deviate or turn aside from the right way when one should have stood upright. In other words, when we come to the age of accountability or when we know the difference between right or wrong, we make a choice to either follow after the things of God, to do right, or we make a choice to not do right. Have you ever been by somebody's property or maybe been hunting and you see these no trespassing signs. What does that mean? It means stay off of something that's not yours. But you know what we've done with our sinful nature? We've walked all over God's goodness and His righteousness. And we've trespassed 
against the things that God has wanted us to be and what he's called us to do and to live out in our life. We've trespassed against the good nature that God wanted us to have and we've chosen to serve our evil nature. It's a word that means to turn aside or wander away. But there's good news. Listen to 2 Corinthians 5.19. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Not imputing their trespasses, the same Greek word there, to them as, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Ephesians 1 7, we'll get to in a couple of weeks. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin. The same word again, that word trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. There's good news. We don't have to live in that life. We don't have to, to, to walk after the sin uh, that has fallen on every one of us. The word sin means to miss the mark. W.E. Vine points out that sin is the term most often used to describe man's fallen condition. It's what's meant by coming short of the glory of God. We sang that song. You're a good, good father. Perfect in all your ways. And we fall short of that perfection. That's what the word sin means. We fall short of the glory of God. The glory of God is His perfection that shines and grabs our attention. As Romans chapter 1 says, without excuse, if we never knew anything but the creation of the world, we have no excuse to know that there is a one true living God. And that's a very rough paraphrase. But go read it. We have no excuse. Because the glory of God and His splendor, His brilliance, shines through His creation. But man was designed and created to live in that very brilliance, the, the glory of God. But you can listen to any newscast, turn on the TV, the radio, whatever you'd like, and it doesn't take very long to know that we've sinned, we've fallen short of that glorious behavior that God wanted us to have and man lives in a dark deprived world because of our sinful nature point is this God is perfect and we're not we're ever so short of his perfect glory we don't measure up we can't come to the level of we don't reach up to because of our choice as sinful man listen to these few examples no husband or wife is free from selfishness and disturbance all the time. Not perfectly. Regardless of how good your marriage may be, and you think it's perfect, we fall short of the glory that God intended for that to be because of our sinful nature. No father or mother treats his child like they should all the time. Not perfectly. How many times as a parent have you gone away after saying something you know you shouldn't have said? And you go, boy, I blew it. I didn't handle that as well as I could have. We fall short. No child obeys his parents perfectly all the time. Amen, parents? Not like we did anyway, huh? Uh, no neighbors as good and kind as you might think or as helpful as we should be all the time. Not perfectly. Think about what that would be like. 
to be able to, to live up to the perfection and the glory and the brilliance that God designed for us to live up to. What it would be like to live next door to someone you could just leave them. You wouldn't have to have a key because you would never put a lock on your door to begin with. And know that no one would ever steal, kill, or threaten, destroy anything that you ever had. What a world that would be. Here's another one. No person disciplines his body in eating, exercising, and sleeping all the time. Not perfectly. I've been trying to lose a little weight. I blow it about once a week, and that's all it takes. Yeah, I could be good for six days and go to Peebles and blow the whole thing. I may as well have eaten wrong all week. We're not perfect. What about our mind? We don't control our mind from impure thoughts and selfish thoughts all the time. Not perfectly. I think we have good intentions. We're short of perfection. We fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23 says, For all, as me and you, have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And because of that, Romans 5.12 says, Sin entered the world, and death through sin, and death spread to all men, because all sin. We're all included. But that life of trespasses and sin causes us to walk after two things. Letter A in your note, we walk after the course of this world. Look at verse 2. Let's go back to verse 1. And you he, he and you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sin, in which you walked, once walked. We walked in those trespasses and sin according to the course of this world. What's the course of the world? Our own opinions, our own life, our own speculation, our own pleasure, our own purpose. Our position to be exalted above others, our popularity, our religion many times, our honor. You know, how many times do we go in and... and in a restaurant and you say I want to be last in line no we walk in and we you know we see somebody getting out of the car and we say come on let's walk a little faster because they're getting ready to get in front of us I've done it no telling how many times yeah let me drop you off you get our place in line yeah I've used that line and in the back of my mind it's not about her not having to walk to the door it's because I don't want that group you know, that eight or nine people to get in front of us. The course of the world. Matthew sixteen twenty six. But what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world? If we're first in line every time, if we reach the highest status of where we can reach, what does it gain us? If we lose our own soul. Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul. Hadn't changed much. A bowl of soup. Sinner also walks under the power of Satan. Let's read on. According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons 
of disobedience. Man was never created to be evil or to do evil. But God gave Adam a choice, just like he does us. And what happened? To a man who has free will, we choose for a season and be fun. Boy, that season is so short-lived compared to the consequence of that season. Do you know what I found out? And I learned this from a man at Northridge, I guess, because he said it all the time. It's a shame that the world believes that Christians don't have fun. But you know why they believe that? Because most Christians don't have a smile on their face, are not telling of their love of the Lord, are not ex ex examples in the workplace of someone who is fulfilled and satisfied with the things of God. That's why the world thinks that Christians don't have any fun. But you can get together with Ted Beasley, and if you don't have fun, Something's wrong. He, he was always using that line. It's a shame. We'd go to Atlanta to the shoebox uh, warehouse up there and work for a whole week and just have a blast. Driving all over Atlanta, and he'll tell you stories that some of them are true and some of them are not about me. Uh, probably most of them are true, but uh, we've done some pretty crazy things. Just having fun. We were never created to live as a child of disobedience. Listen to what John 8, John 8, 44 says. You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there was no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. That's what Paul is saying here in Ephesians. That we were children of disobedience. That was our life before Christ. I'm so thankful that he's pulled me out of that. Ephesians 6.12 says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of the world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. If you don't believe in spiritual demons that are attacking you from every direction, you are wrongly deceived. Because it's not going to be a physical battle that you face. It's going to be a battle in your mind, whether or not you look at that woman who looks good and commit adultery in your heart, as the Bible says, because... You dwell on it. You allow those things to enter into your mind. We're supposed to guard our mind. First John 3, 8 says, He who sins is of the devil. What that means is, is that's your habitual lifestyle. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. For the purpose, for this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Jesus came. He overcame. The Bible says that the spirit of the devil, or the devil, the spirit allowed the devil to lead Jesus to be tempted. 
And it goes on to say that he overcame those temptations. The Spirit of God allowed the devil to take his own son into the wilderness to be tempted. So you, do you think he doesn't tempt us? Number three in your notes, before conversion, man lives a life spent with the disobedient of the world. We're just there. We're born into it. We refuse to obey God. We refuse to do what God says. We're a child of disobedience. Look back at, we'll look at that word among there in verse 3. Among whom also we all once conducted ourselves. And it refers back to the last line in verse 2. The sons of disobedience. Matthew 7, 26 and 27 says this, But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them, being disobedient, will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand, and the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was his fall. We are looking toward a life now and in the future of destruction and doom if we don't accept God's sacrifice of his own son to pay for our sin. Proverbs 21.16 says this, the man that wanders from the way of understanding will rest in the congregation of the dead. Will never be alive. What were some of those things that Paul was talking about there? The lust of our flesh. The desires. We think about those kinds of things. We think about overeating or intoxication or pornography or some of those kinds of things. But note, the mind also desires and lust. As we talked about a little earlier, our immoral thoughts of looking at a beautiful lady or an attractive man. False beliefs. We're sold alive because it looks so good. They must be doing something right. They're filling stadiums with people. Narrow is the way that leads to life. Broad is the road that leads to destruction. It's not about how many go there. It's about how many are going according to the Word of God. The unconverted man, that life before Christ, lives to fulfill the desires of his flesh and also his mind. Number four in your notes. For conversion, a man lives a life under God's wrath. Under God's wrath. We're already under his wrath. We're born sinners who at some point in our life choose to continue to sin. We never have to teach a newborn how to sin. How to be selfish. How to steal. How to say mine. Never. They just have that. It's it's kind of the same thing they have today with electronics. You can hand a nine month old a iPad and they can work it. 
I'm not sure where all that comes from, but it just seems to be that way. But listen about the unconverted man. The unconverted man acts against God, but not for God. The unconverted man rejects God, but does not receive God. Ignores God, but does not confess God. Denies God, but does not acknowledge Him. Curses, but does not praise. Serves religion. And you can see that all over the world. But does not serve God. Has a personal idea of what God is like in his mind, but never receives the gift. The Pharisees were like that. Never accept that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God. John 3.36 says this, He who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe in the Son shall not save life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Not future, but presently. God's wrath and anger spills out against those who have not yet accepted his Son. And we wonder why our world continues to decline. But I'm so thankful while I was still a sinner, God loved me, drew me to himself, and he sent his son to pay the debt for my sin. Ephesians 5, 6, Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things come the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. It's a scary thought when I see people walk an aisle but there's never any evidence of a converted life or people that'll say well I received Christ when I was five years old but they've never had any fruit but they've received vain words at some point in time in their life and they've taken it as truth as being a converted person and most of the time there's lack of any evidence. And I can't be the final judge of that. Only God is. But it's a scary thought to think that they have that assurance or that false belief that everything's okay. When the truth is many times that God, God's wrath is already abiding on them because of the rejection of the things of God because they're living as sons of disobedience by the actions of their life. It's a very scary thought when there's no evidence in the life of one who has claimed to be converted. Let no man deceive you with vain words. For because of these things come the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. What a scary thought. What about you today? Whose child are you? Are you a child of God? Or do you remain a child of disobedience and therefore, as the scripture says, a child of the devil? John three sixteen through 18 says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. 
Verse 18. He who believes in him is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Where are you today? Are you in that group that Paul classified here as dead in trespasses and sin? Are you in that group that says, that can go back and claim the very first part of that that says, And you he made alive, who were, once were, dead in trespasses and sin. You've gone against the things of God. You understand that. But God's calling you today. Is there something tugging at your heart that says, Not all is well. Not all is well. How about you today? Are all things well? Maybe you have made that commitment, but maybe you've walked a lifestyle that has gone against the things of God for some time, and you find yourself today in a backslidden state. You won't get saved again, but you can become back in right fellowship as a prodigal son did in Luke 15. Once was lost, but now is found. How about it today? Let's pray together. Father, I thank you today for your word, for even the seemingly so dark side of what we talked about today. But God, I'm thankful that there's good news. That you came, you died, and you rose again. And because of that, I have the ability to choose life over death. To be a son of God rather than a son of disobedience. And Lord, I pray today that if there's one here today that has not ever made that commitment, to allow God to come and live and reign in their life. God, today might be the day of salvation. Or maybe there's someone here today that has fallen away. There has been that conversion experience. And conviction has been so, so prevalent many times in their life. God, today they've come back. And decided that today is the day they're going to make a commitment to change that. God, I pray that you give strength to that one to make a commitment today. Lord, I thank you that uh, our relationship with you can be strained. That God, once we become your child, truly become your child, Lord, that's forever. Father, thank you so much for the assurance of that. Lord, I pray today that as we pause for just a moment and give opportunity to respond, God, that you would help us to respond. It's in your name that we pray. I want to ask you just a simple question.